Well, we are in this series, uh, Ten Commandments. Um, we're on week four, Fourth Commandment, which, which is about uh, rest. It's about Sabbath. And one thing that we've kind of discovered as we've been walking through these commandments is they're not always as simple as they look. Like they're placed in a particular time, a particular context and culture, and, you know, historical moment. And, and so to understand in, in that context can be really helpful or sometimes we can kind of maybe misunderstand, misrepresent, or just not get the full breadth of what is going on in this. But we've been looking at this idea of God comes to this people group, he, he rescues them out of Egypt. These are, these are descendants from Abraham, this one to whom he said, I would make a covenant with and your descendants would be like the sand. Like as, you can't even count the sand, can you? That's how many descendants you'll have. And these descendants find themselves in slavery in North Africa, Egypt. And for 400 years, and they're just being ground down. Their uh, Pharaoh is attempting to um, just basically genocide, kill all the boys, throw them into the Nile River. And, um, and so this small people group cries out to God, to Yahweh, the God of Abraham. And it says, he remembered them, which is, this is Hebrew language for saying he acted on his promise. And so Yahweh, through Moses, takes, selects this one guy, uh, not a guy you would expect, and delivers the Israelites out of Egypt, and they go out into the desert. Remember, he says, I want what Moses keeps saying to Pharaoh is, let my people go so they may come worship me in the wilderness, in the desert. And so they finally get that. There's all these plagues, and they go out into the wilderness, and they camp at the base of Mount Sinai, right? And they're, and they're, just, they're there for like a year. I mean, the whole book of Exodus is basically just like, you know, like getting out of slavery, getting there, staying there. I mean, just that's the entire book of Exodus. And so they're there for a year, and God says, I've, I've delivered you. You're, you're my family now. We, we are in relationship. So I want you to know how we do family in my household. And so he says, this is how we do family in my household. So remember, these commandments aren't, do you want to get into my household? Then you got to do these things. It's now that you're in my household, now that you're my children, this is how we do family in my house. And so these 10 commandments are, are given and it's, it's this sort of antidote to the chaos of this ancient world and these ancient people. And so the first commandment, do you, anyone remember what it is? Anyone have, anyone have them all memorized? You don't need to say them, but I'm just curious. Some, some people, okay, not, not too many of us, okay. First commandment is, don't have any other gods before me. And the second one, kind of feels like there's some overlap to it, don't make any, any like images right? Don't make images and then bow down to those images and worship them. And then the third one that Pastor Dick Foth talked about last week is, don't, don't carry my name. That's the actual word. The Hebrew word is nasah. It just means to carry, like to pick something up. Don't carry my name in vain, meaning you're representing me. So don't carry my name in a way that, that brings damage to me and my kingdom mission, okay? And then the fourth commandment tonight is what we get to in Exodus chapter 20, verse eight, and we'll just go ahead and read it, and I think you have this in your bulletin, but it should also be up on the screens as well. We read this. Remember the Sabbath day to consecrate it. Six days you will work, and you will do all your work but the seventh day is a Sabbath for Yahweh, your God. You will not do any work. 
You or your son or your daughter, your male slave or your female slave, or your animal or, uh, or your alien who is in your gates. That means staying in the city with them. Because in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and on the seventh day he rested. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the seventh day and consecrated, or some, your, some translations have, and made it holy. Now, we get the word Sabbath. It's just a transliteration, meaning it's taking a word from Hebrew, which is Shabbat, which just means to rest. It's like a verb, Shabbat. I'm going to go Shabbat. <laughs> I'm going to go rest. And it's transliterating that into a word that we use in English, which is Sabbath. The Sabbath is just, it's the seventh day in a cycle of days. Um, for, for, the, for the Jewish uh, mind, it would start Friday night, because as soon as the sun goes down Friday night, that day is over, and the new day has begun. And so Friday night, at, as soon as the sun's down, that's the start of Sabbath. And Sabbath lasts until the sun goes down on Saturday, and that would be this day of rest. And the two things that we see from this text primarily are this idea that there is to be no work done, no productivity that you would think about in a normal rest of the six days. And then number two, this is to be observed weekly. It's a weekly practice that Israel is asked to engage in. And um, I would suggest that this is, um, it's more important to Israel and its role with God probably than we're aware of. It plays a very significant role. Um, and it might even, I don't know, would you guys say, is this the commandment that feels the most foreign to you? I think, you know, because it's like, I don't, I don't do this. Like I, in fact, my job requires me to work on Sundays or Saturdays or whatever it might be. So this, this law can feel like weird, um, archaic, just kind of like strange, formal, like what's, what's really going on in it. But the fourth commandment, it's actually different than the other nine in some really significant ways. Uh, the command to keep the Sabbath, it's, it's, re, it's uh, re-emphasized more than the others. Like uh, ex, uh, Exodus 31 and Exodus 35, they're reminded again, this is like when they're going to build the tabernacle, remember that? God gives like all these detailed, crazy detailed instructions about how to do the tabernacle. And right when he's done with the instructions, he's like, but don't even break Sabbath to build the tabernacle. (laughs) Even on Sabbath, you will not be working in the tabernacle. You will not be building it. As important as that is, this trumps it. This is even more important. And then there is even given specific examples of like, here's what I mean, don't work. Like, don't go pick up sticks. Pick up sticks, you're going to build a fire. Like, I know how this works. So don't do any of those things. And there's even um, the statement made that those Israelites who infringe on the Sabbath law should be put to death. So there's, it's capital punishment for Israelites who do not hold to the Sabbath. And what's really interesting when you think about it, for those of us in the modern world, the idea of, okay, Brent, take one day this week and don't do any work. Probably not that weird. I mean, it would be bothersome, maybe. You know, I might be like, ah, oh, but I had plans, you know, to do this or whatever. But I could still, I could still function. I don't, I've still got food in the pantry. I don't need to, like, make food. I could, I could get by. Let me read for you a comment that kind of helps us frame this in its historical t- uh, context. The author writes, It's worth noting how remarkably costly 
the Sabbath command can be. This is not being stated in a modern urban culture, but in an agricultural ancient culture. Here's what he means. A people who do not have modern conveniences, who have to work the fields and live in dicey economic circumstances, are being told to take their hands off the economic wheel. To entrust themselves to God one day in seven. We ought to note how absurd the Sabbath command is, either if there's not an almighty God, or if that almighty God is not kindly disposed and personally committed to provide for Israel. And he ends by saying the Sabbath would be a uh, remarkable act of stupidity if there were not a God, <laughs> which is a really interesting, I don't think about that that much. I don't live in that in ancient culture to think about taking my hands off of the economic steering wheel where, where typically I'm living day by day, hand to mouth. Is that a level of trust? I mean, think about that. What kind of levels of trust do you have in your life with God? I mean, like if he doesn't show up, this will not happen. Because to be honest, when I look at it, I go, I've got a lot of safeguards in my life. I've got a lot of things to react. God doesn't show up, I guess I can get by. <laughs> That's not the case here. He's calling them to live in deep, deep trust with him saying, if this doesn't happen, you're hosed. <laughs> um, if God doesn't provide, if God doesn't care, if God doesn't guard them, if God doesn't commit himself deeply to this people, then the Sabbath renders them like without hope, they will not live long. Your, your, your family will not flourish. Your life will not go well if God doesn't show up in this way. But that also is the beauty of the Sabbath too. The Sabbath, it's this weekly rhythm whereby one day in seven, as we were saying, they demonstrate how much they trust God. Like, man. For those of you guys who are um, going in along with our exile study, it brought up this example of, you know, the, um, you know, the is it chapter one or two of Daniel where Daniel says, I'm not gonna eat the king's food, I'm gonna eat vegetables. And um, most commentators think, the author's trying to show basically, it's just that. It's, it's, there's, it's difficult to even know why he said no to that food for a number of reasons. It's not necessarily a, um, a dietary thing or what's hold, but it's almost this idea of him saying, I'm gonna demonstrate that God's in charge of even my health, in this case, to, to Babylon in that way. So this is, um, again, it's, it's fully entrusting themselves to, to God. So it's, it's looking away from their own strength, looking away from their own abilities, looking away from their own activities, looking away from their own abilities to, to provide for themselves, and just fully, fully entrusting themselves to God, so th that's why this is also, this is why it was so hard for Israel to do this. They were not very good at it. Um, that's probably why this is the longest commandment of the 10, because it has to give the most details, probably, and because they weren't very good at keeping it, they had to keep, it had to keep being reapplied to Israel, because like, man, you guys are horrible at this. Um, evidence for that is this idea that um, Amos chapter eight, talks about the greedy merchants who are, who are just fidgeting for the Sabbath to be over. You know, and they say things like, oh, as soon as the Sabbath's over, I can make more money. You know, get rid of my stock and you know, get some more coins. And it's like, if, if, if you're that merchant, it's like, you, you just don't get it. That's not what this is about. 
God is not looking for just conformity, just don't work. He's looking for a heart. He wants belief. I want you to believe in me. We've said in the series, God wants believing loyalty. That's from all of us. I want believing loyalty, God says. I want you to fully believe me and demonstrate that belief by being utterly loyal to me. Don't change teams. <laughs> Stay with me. That's what he's saying here. It's interesting, too. The, the Sabbath, it's also utterly unique in the ancient world Israel. There's a lot of things in um, what they call comparative uh, ancient studies where there's a lot of things that Israel has in common with their neighbors, certain cosmological worldview ideas. I mean, there's, there's similarities. You know, they're, they're, they're from that culture. That's bound to be the case. But then there are some, some times where things are utterly unique. And this whole concept of Sabbath, we find it nowhere in the ancient world. Even seven-day cycles, you know, if you think about it, seven-day cycles don't even match up with the lunar calendar. That's what the Hebrews used. So it doesn't even fit into their calendar <laughs> well. It's something utterly unique that Yahweh God says, I'm going to do something radical and has never done before. One day a week, you're going to Sabbath and put your utter trust in me. It's utterly unique in that way. Now, the primary role that Sabbath played in Israel, let me, um, got three words up here. These, these are, uh, there are other covenants that God has made as well, but these are three prominent covenants that God made, one with Noah, the Noahic covenant, one with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant as they call it, and then the one with through Moses to Israel, they call it the Mosaic Covenant or the Covenant at Sinai, but these are these three covenants. Now, typically when God makes a covenant, not always, but in these cases, he, he gives a sign to the covenant. There's gonna be something that when you look at it, when you do it, when you see it, it's gonna be like a ring on a married person's finger. Are you with me? It's this constant reminder. The Noahic Covenant, what was the sign that he gave to Noah afterwards saying, I promise, I will never destroy the earth and it will be an inhabitable place for you to live. What was it? Yeah, okay, so he's got the, he's got the rainbow there. Um, Abrahamic covenant, what's the, what's the sign of the Abrahamic covenant? Male, okay, I won't draw that picture, don't worry. You don't need to close your eyes. I'll just, I'll write a C, okay? I could maybe draw a knife or something. Um, yeah, every male in the household had to be circumcised, right? That's the sign of this covenant. What is the covenant? What's the sign of the Mosaic covenant? All the Ten Commandments and the 603 others that come along later. Read with me Exodus 31, 12. I don't think it's up on the screens. If you have your Bibles, you can open them or turn them on or just, or just listen. Exodus 31, we read this. <clears throat> then Yahweh said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. That's classic covenant language. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on it must be cut off from their people. For six days work is to be done, but on the seventh day, it is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to Yahweh. 
Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It, meaning the Sabbath, it will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. In six days, Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. So what's interesting is, this is what you know, I mentioned earlier, the Sabbath, it's not just one of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> the rest of the Ten Commandments are, tip, are, are reflections of God's moral law. This one's different, and it kind of bridges between the first four, which are our obligations to God, and the second six, which are our obligations to one another. But this, this, this was the sign of a covenant, just as important as circumcision was to Abraham, maybe even more. Are you with me on that? Like, this is a significant thing in Israel's life. It's not an optional thing. It's the very sign that we are in covenant together and you have believing loyalty, God would say, to me. So it's this idea of Sabbath. And unlike the rainbow and that sort of thing, this sign, it's primarily for the benefit of Israel. There, there are Sabbath years uh, there's, and they do different things in these Sabbath years where they say, hey, every, every seven years, you're gonna, if you have any uh, Israelite slaves in your household, they've paid their debt. They work six years, seventh, you release them. They have years of jubilee after seven sevens. So on year, after 49 years, the 50th year, okay, we're gonna give back out all the property kind of stuff. You went into debt, and of course, debt means you lose your land. And if you're of, say, the tribe of Judah, and you lost your land to someone on that tribe, now the tribes, lands are in different things. They go, okay, after 50 years, you give back, you go back to the original plots of, you know, your, you know, the Zebulun and Judah and all that sort of thing. So it's, it's, it's pointing to something. See, there's, there's something that he says, I want this to be a part of your daily routine, and I want you to start thinking about what things this is looking forward to. One day, all your debts being set right. Hmm, wonder what that will be like fully. <laughs> You see how this is being, it's, he, he's like kneading it into the dough of their lives. This is gonna be a weekly thing, it's gonna be an annual thing, it's gonna be a every 50 year thing. You're not gonna be able to get away from this because there's something deep you need to know about me and about my intentions for my good world and my intentions for you that I'm gonna kind of bake into the cake and if you don't, if you don't do this, you're gonna miss it, you're gonna forget, you're gonna think it's about you at the expense of others. And so tonight what I wanna do, let me turn to this next one here, is I just wanna kind of explore the concept of, of Sabbath, we're using that word, and if you wanna write like this on your piece of paper, I'm gonna put up a few other words on here, because the Sabbath is associated with other concepts. It gets very quickly associated with other themes and ideas and if you don't kind of pull them all together, like um, in a recipe, it's just, it's not, it's going to be, it's not going to taste right. It's not going to be understood. So um, first thing that we have to realize is this, now Sabbath, we said, what does Sabbath mean? Yeah. Rest. Okay. So that's the meaning of it. So there's this, that's this first kind of association maybe that, that we would say. But there's also a, another association that happens pretty quickly is creation. Here's what I mean. 
Exodus chapter 20 that we've been reading through here, um, if you look at verse 11, what is the rationale for practicing the Sabbath? Yeah. Because God, and, and he's referring to Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that's in them. On the seventh day he rested from creation. Therefore Yahweh blessed the seventh day and consecrated Oregon made it holy. So it's, it's linking back to this idea of God's creation. You know, that God, God put all of this into place. He spoke in our worlds, leapt into existence. God is this one who, I think it's uh, the words of N.T. Wright, he said, page one opens up and God has dirt under his fingernails. He's a gardener. He's building. He's creative. And so the, the, um, the Sabbath is very, is very closely associated. You can't separate it with this idea of God's creation and God resting from it. Um, another concept that it's very closely related to is imaging. What I mean by that is imaging God. Humanity imaging, reflecting Yahweh God. Um, he tells them in this very passage, I want you to do this because I did it. See, he's leading the way. Um, we, we are imitating him, is what the Israelites understood, when, when we do this. Now, now think about this. Let me pause for a second and talk about all, of, all the commandments that, that we've been talking about. Think about the first commandment that we mentioned. God says, don't have any other gods, right? I can't be, I, I, I'm totally different than any of these other, you know, lesser beings that you're worshiping or whatever. Don't have anyone else but me. Therefore, number two, don't make any images and bow down to worship them, right? And number three, when you bear my name and you go out and you're imaging me, you're reflecting me, make sure you do that well. And then the fourth commandment is, I want you to imitate me by resting like I did. Image me. And then what are, the, what are the six rest of the commandments? How we treat people. What are people? Images of God. This whole thing is about imaging God. The whole thing, all ten of these, has this theme of we're called to image God. We're called to reflect him into his world. And see, this is important because we tend to, I tend to, look at these laws and either I think, well, they're like, this is how you get brownie points with God, right? Like you do this, you keep this list kind of thing, or this is how I earn his love, or, or I look at them like a burden. And see, a godly Israelite would not look at these in any of those ways. A godly Israelite would say, man, this is my opportunity to image God. This is my opportunity to be a proxy for God to people who don't know him. This is my opportunity to treat other people well. But when you look at it that way, it seems the way it's supposed to be looked at. This doesn't seem that bad at all. But of course, again, you know, we're humans, right? We want autonomy. We don't like the idea of someone telling me what I have to do, right? If I would suggest, if I made a seating chart for you guys, and I said, you have to sit there next week, you would rebel. You would be so, and yet, you all sit in the exact same seat every week, right? 
that's human nature. The minute you tell me I have to do it, oh, I don't like that idea, right? That's part of our sinful fallen nature. And that's why, that's why Paul says, the law is good. It's, it's holy, it's right, but it shows us our deep brokenness. It's like a mirror, and when I look at it, I go, oh, I don't fare well to this, you know, in comparison to this sort of thing. So this is not a system about earning God's love, okay? What he would say to the Israelites is, you already have my love. It's not about getting this family. You're already in my family. You're mine. I just said that at the beginning of the Ten Commandments. He said, you're mine. You're my trusted people. I saved you. I rescued you. You're mine. Now, show me that you have believing loyalty to me. And so the call to Sabbath, a call to begin, is, is a call to begin to restore the image of God in persons by them reflecting this. So it's about image bearers in the world. Um, it's also about absolute rule. Or, or, or a steady rule, a consistent rule from God. Genesis 2, 1 through 3, which is what this commandment uh, quoted and kind of leaned on. This should be on the screens. Genesis 2, 1 through 3, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were, what's that word there? Yeah, if you have your Bibles, like underline that one. Anytime you see repetition, it's gonna be important. Um, thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts, by the seventh day God there's the repetition, completed his works, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all uh, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because he had rested from all of his work, which God had created and made. One thing that's interesting, commentators have, all, have always noticed the, the seven days of creation, all one through six have the same formula. They go, there was, there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and the morning the second day. There was evening, morning, the third day, and on, on, you know, all the way through the sixth. The seventh doesn't have that. There's no evening and morning. And so commentators, as they reflect on this, they say it's, it's, like the, it's almost like this idea that we're still in the seventh day. Like that the seventh day is this continuous existence going onward. It's this sort of endless um, time period that we, that, 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 we live in the seventh day. And this is important because of what it means for God to rest. And this is key. Um, for, for, for divine rest or God to rest, it doesn't mean inactivity. See, I hear rest, I think inactivity. Do you think that? Divine rest is not about inactivity. It's about unhindered ruling. It's about ruling in a way where there are not obstacles to rule. Um, here's a picture of it. Imagine a king, someone like King David, this is some of the things are said about him. Once he has defeated all of his enemies, okay, and he goes, and, it's, and, it, and it says, and he, and he rests on his throne. It doesn't mean he's just not doing anything anymore, it's that now he's in the control room. <laughs> and he's controlling his world that is under his authority. Does that make sense? So for God to rest, again, it doesn't speak to inactivity. It speaks to, I have conquered all the elements of chaos and whatever, and, and now things are right. That's, that's that picture. Uh, John Walton, 
He's a professor at uh, Wheaton College. He wrote a book called The Lost World of Genesis 1. And he says this in there. I think it's, it's very good. He says, uh, what does divine rest entail? Now listen to this. It is more engagement without obstacles than it is disengagement without responsibilities. Do you hear that? Divine rest, it's more about engagement, no obstacles, than it is about disengagement without any responsibilities. And see, Jesus believed this very thing. Uh, In uh, John 5, 14 through 17, uh, this is where Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda. Do you remember this event? And there, there are paralyzed people there trying to get into the water. Jesus shows up, and, and, and it's a Sabbath. It's a Sabbath day. And Jesus heals this paralytic man, and immediately the religious leaders are bothered, right? Because you're breaking Shabbat. You're breaking Sabbath. And it says, for this reason, the Jews, religious leaders, were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Verse 17, but, but Jesus answered them, my father is still working even now, and I myself am working also. So Jesus' view is saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> Sabbath, God's Sabbath on the Sabbath day, he didn't, he didn't kick his feet up and go like this. <laughs> he, it just meant he was in the control room now. He was fully working, fully engaged. He says, and that's my same mission. I'm called to fully, fully engage. And in fact, think about it. God on his seventh day, if it continues on, he has to go save his people from Egypt. He's working again to save life. He's saving life, which kind of has an interesting reference. Remember when Jesus has asked the question, is it, is it okay to, to, uh, to save life on the Sabbath? And of course, he said, well, of course, that's the only reason you're here, is because you were saved on God's Sabbath <laughs> from Egypt. Um, there's another concept is, you could say, um, I'm gonna say new creation or redemption. This uh, is very closely associated with Sabbath and we see that the very second time the uh, 10 Commandments are listed. It's interesting, um, so we have 10 Commandments, we've talked about, uh, Pastor Donnie talked about this a couple weeks ago. 10 Commandments are first given, Mount of you know, Sinai, Exodus 20. That whole generation, they're just, you know, they don't believe, they don't have believing loyalty, so most of them, because of their lack of believing loyalty, don't get to go into the land. Many of their children, some of them do, but their children get to go into land, and so they're sort of poised, ready to go across the water into this, into this new land, and once again, Moses says, I'm gonna reiterate to you what your parents messed up big time. And so he gives them the law of the covenant again. And so we find the Ten Commandments stated again, and that's in Deuteronomy uh, 20. And so what's interesting is, let let me, and this is on your handout, I think, right? This is inside your bulletin right below it. Uh, Listen to Deuteronomy 20. It's, and and maybe I'll skip some of this for the sake of time, but um, it says, you know, observe the Sabbath, keep it. Uh, verse 14, but on the seventh day of the Sabbath, you're, uh, you know, don't do anything. Go down to verse 15. Here's the rationale for why they should keep Sabbath. And do you see what's different? What was the rationale when it was first given? Rest because God rested from creation. What's the new reason? Rest because you were slaves in Egypt and now you're not. 
Now, you might look at that and be like, is that like a total contradiction? Like he's just changing up? No, it's actually not at all. What he's saying is that Yahweh had redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt. Him redeeming them from Egypt was a new act of creation. That's how the writers understood what God did in the Exodus act, that the people of God were created anew at the Exodus event. And all social classes, even animals, are to be allowed to keep the Sabbath. So it's this generous gift, and by keeping Sabbath, all of Israel was affirming God as their creator, but also their redeemer on a weekly basis. So the Sabbath linked back to creation and Exodus because Exodus was a supernatural act of creation. Think about it. Remember the plagues? It was a supernatural act of creating this people, bringing them out. And so it's paralleled with the creation account itself. Because God, you know, he has control over the creation, he defeats the gods of Egypt, and all of that he brings out a new people for him. And he speaks of them like, you're my new creation, like Adam and Eve were. You are my new people. And I wanna suggest even that this is why, in part, Jesus can refer to himself as Lord of the Sabbath. Do you remember him doing that at times? Why is he Lord of the Sabbath? Well, because he's the Passover lamb, he understood himself. He was the new redeemer of God's people. See, that's why he's Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the new redeemer, and he's even the agent of, of original creation itself. Remember uh, John chapter one? John 1, 1 through 3, it should be on the screens. It says, in the beginning was the Word, speaking of the, the pre-incarnate Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and look at verse 3. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So, see, Jesus can rightly be called, he's Lord of Shabbat. He's Lord of this Sabbath, and what it represented with the people, because he's like, I was the one who created, I was the one who redeemed you out of Egypt, and I'm doing that anew in a fuller way even now. Uh, next one that is related, and that's being holy. Or you might even write being made holy. Um, going back to Exodus uh, 31 that we had up on the screen a couple minutes ago, if you remember in verse 12 it said, um, then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe, observe this, my Sabbaths, this will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so that you may know that I am Yahweh who makes you holy. See, do you get it? He said, I made a day, and the day is holy, the day is set apart, and I want you to enter that day. Like, are you picking up like, on what he's saying? I want you to be like the day. <laughs> I want you to be consecrated. I want you to be set apart. I want you to be holy. And so that, 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 that's, that's uh, again, this is all kind of baked into the cake <laughs> as what we're supposed to have in our mind when we think about Sabbath and what's going on there and what it means and what it entails in our lives. So, um, again, just as he set that day apart, 
they are supposed to be like the day. And so this is, this is anticipating the end game of God's whole redemptive plan and his whole redemptive history. Last one is, I'll write presence slash temple. Presence slash temple. <clears throat> um, this is maybe more foreign to us. Uh, I'll, I'll give you one kind of textual reference for it, but what the ancient Israelite had in mind when they talked about Sabbath was it's this idea of um, God is resting somewhere. This day uniquely belongs to him. His presence is, of course, in the temple itself, right? <clears throat> and so on the Sabbath, I'm supposed to sort of imagine in my mind that I'm like spending family time with God in his house, like in his own unique space with him. So Sabbath is primarily about being with God. That's what it was. Um, Ezekiel chapter 46, uh, this is like 14 years after uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the one guy we're reading about in the book of Daniel, has come in and just wiped out Jerusalem. He's destroyed the temple. And Ezekiel is about God giving Ezekiel these visions of, this is what I'm gonna, I'm gonna one day, things will be right. I'll set things right. And, and so he gives Ezekiel these kind of sets of visions. And he has this one vision of this temple, and it's like way bigger than the original one was. And it just like blows his mind. And, and so God gives him this vision of this temple. And in this vision, he, uh, God says, here's, here's what's gonna happen in this temple. He says, um, on Sabbath, um, the gates that go into the court, they're gonna remain closed for six days. But on Sabbath, the gates are gonna be open. And I want your princes and your common people to come to the gate to look in and to spend time with me, to worship me, because that's where my presence is. Sabbath is about, I, I'm spending family time with the Father. Are you with me on that? That's what this idea has with it. So on Sabbath, we're, we're invited to share the day in a special way with Yahweh. And so the Hebrew people understood that true rest, this is gonna come when I have God's presence. Like when I fully have his presence, that's when true rest is gonna happen. So rest is very closely associated with, I can't have rest if I don't have the presence of God. I just, I can't have it in any way. And of course, he, you know, he lives with them in different ways out in the, the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire, and then when they get into the land and the tabernacle, he's, he's with them in a different way, but his presence is very closely associated with Sabbath, and you can't have Sabbath without the presence of God. So now that they are free from slavery, they can, they can rest again, right? And see, this, this gives some context to Jesus' statement where he says, the Sabbath was not, uh, sorry, the Sabbath was made for man, remember that? Not man for the Sabbath. Like the Sabbath is for us, he was saying. The Sabbath, is, it's, it's serving us, we're not serving the Sabbath, that's what he was meaning. Listen to uh, this statement here made by one commentator. He writes, uh, this is a reconnection. He's talking about the Israelites like going right before they go into the promised land. He says, this is a reconnection with the Garden of Eden. Israel sits poised to enter Canaan, the new garden. And God has ordered, as God had ordered in Genesis 1, so God is now giving them order in the midst of the chaos of the world around them. By resting on the seventh day, 
Israel is not just following God's command. Israel is following God's lead, his example. They're doing what he himself did first. This pattern is not a burden, it is a delight and a high honor. Now here's my question. If you can see all this, or if you're, are you starting to see what's, what's emerging here? Like what, what, what the Sabbath is really about? What it's really pointing to? There was a man who one time said, maybe you could fill in the last word for me, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus said, you know that rest that has been long for? You know that rest that your soul just works out, cries out for? I've got it. I can give it to you. Not I can show you where it is. I can actually give it to you. Why is that? Well, because Jesus thought that he was the true temple. He spoke about himself. Remember, he said, tear down this temple, and in three days I will, I will rise it up. You know, you're absurd. You can't tear down a building. It took more than 50 years. To... No, no, no. This temple. Jesus understood himself as uniquely being the, the very presence of God that was in the temple itself. He understood himself as the image of the invisible God. That's what Paul speaks of him as. He said that he, it, it, we said this earlier, the name above every name, which everyone will confess he's Lord, absolute rule. Remember Jesus' words in the uh, book of Revelation, behold, I make all things new. He's going to recreate all things. He's the one through whom everything that was created was created. He was the very presence and temple of God. It's for that reason that when you, when I, through believing loyalty, fix my life to Jesus, I'm called Jesus' body, right? What's his body? Well, Paul thought it was this, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6.19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? and that you are not your own. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 6.16, or what, argument has, what, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. Man, that's familiar language. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. Believers are the temple of God. Believers simply are that. And the inauguration of Jesus' kingdom was his ascension after his death and resurrection and then his giving of the Holy Spirit, right? That's where the present, where did the Holy Spirit go? Into believers. That's what, that's what Sabbath was always pointing toward. <clears throat> See, this is why in New Testament theology do we observe the Mosaic Sabbath? Well, you can if you want. Now, if you, I mean, it can be fun to do. You can kind of get in touch, you know, with your Old Testament roots and all that. But if you think it adds one bit to your standing with God, you're missing it. You're utterly missing it. If you think it adds one thing, no. Our Sabbath rest is Jesus. That's the New Testament theology. Our Sabbath rest is the person 
of Jesus. That's why he said things like, I am the way and the truth and the life. It's a person. It's not a process. It's not a ceremony. It's, it's a person. I don't have time, but uh, sometime go to Hebrews chapter 4. Let me just kind of paraphrase it for you. Maybe I'll read the last couple words here. But the book of Hebrews is all about this idea that all these ceremonies, remember the temple? Remember the priesthood? Remember the Sabbath? Remember the sacrificing animals? All of those things were pointing to the end game, and that end game is the person of Jesus. Jesus fulfilled all of those. And so we read these words in uh, Hebrews 4, <clears throat> 7 through 11. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He says, for if Joshua, you know who Joshua is? Old Testament guy who kind of, you know, got what's, what's really interesting, this name in Hebrew um, which is Yehoshua, when they translated that to Greek in the Old Testament, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> he says, if, if earthly Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entrusted his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. There's an earthly Joshua. We call him Jesus. It's the same name there. No doubt the author had that kind of little cue in mind there. The earthly Joshua could not give the people rest because it wasn't mixed with belief. But the heavenly Joshua... Jesus, he comes and he offers true belief. He offers true rest. And he says, I just want you believing loyalty. I want you in my family. And so that's what we celebrate every week, this idea of right here. That the heavenly Joshua came and offers true rest. And he says, boy, you can enter it. It's ready any second, any time you can enter the rest. So if, if you have begun a relationship with Jesus, you've, you've entered that, this is this recommitment, oh yeah, that's my rest, and sometimes I need to reassert myself under God's control and his rest. This, this is my prayer for you, for us this week, is that because Yahweh God is your shepherd, my prayer is that you would not live in want. I pray that you will cooperate with his spirit when he forces you to lie down in green pastures, and when he leads you beside quiet waters, when he restores your soul and gives you rest. May you know that he will guide you in paths of righteousness for the sake of his own name. And even when you're walking through a valley of deathly shadows, may you not fear evil because you know that God is with you, that his rod and his staff bring you deep comfort and rest. May you be reminded that God will prepare a table before you, even in the presence of daunting enemies. God has anointed your head with oil and your cup will overflow. And may you be encouraged that God's covenant love will follow you all the days of your life. And may it give you confidence that he guarantees that you will dwell in the house of Yahweh God forever.
and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.